Hello and welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today will be Tim Thompson, the color commentator for Vanderbilt Basketball. We will discuss Vanderbilt's victory over LSU. Today's podcast is presented by Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center. Wellspire offers personal and professional development opportunities in a beautiful facility in the Gulch. Stop by for an event with world-renowned speakers or host an off-site event that will wow your team or your clients. Today's news is presented by Sutherland and Belk, an SEC sports-loving injury firm in Nashville. These guys will shoot you straight on your rights and options when you've been injured in an accident. Call them at 615-846-6200 to get your questions answered. You can also visit them online at sbinjurylaw.com. Well, as I said before, Vanderbilt beats LSU 99-90, to 33 points and 6 assists from Saban Lee, 31 from Max Evans, career highs for both. Vanderbilt snaps a 28-game skid against conference opponents and improves to 1-8 and on the year in the Southeastern Conference. LSU, by the way, was the only unbeaten team in league play coming into that game. The guest line, presented by Bolin Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I've slept on Bolin Branch sheets for many years and love them. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them for a month. You can return them for free, but you won't want to. Once you get those sheets, try the mattress, which was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BolinBranch.com, enter the promo code Vandy. And get $50 off your first set of sheets. Tim Thompson joins me now. Tim's the color commentator for Vanderbilt Basketball. Tim, how have you been? Been doing well. His um, Last night was, you know, it was pretty exciting. It, you know, it's a surprise to you know, have a team that hadn't won the, you know, what, 26 games or whatever it is. And, and then, you know, put 99 points on the board. It was, it was crazy. You looked at me at halftime, and you and I tend to size things up about the same way. And I think we were both thinking it. Vanderbilt's up 13 late in the half. LSU goes on, I think, an 8 nothing run to close the half. We look up at it. I think Dylan DeSue, well, DeSue, I guess, didn't pick up his third until the second half, so it wasn't relevant at that point. But we're thinking, okay, we've seen this before. Hey, Max Evans gets 25 points, which is nine more than his career high. Uh, and they're still only up five. They're shooting threes like crazy. It was kind of the feeling that Vanderbilt had played maybe almost past its ceiling. And on the other side is an LSU team that has won an improbable amount of close games. So you got one oh, team yeah. that's 0-8 yeah. in the conference, the other team that's 8-0. and And you're just like, the first half felt great if you're Vanderbilt, but then the way it ends, you're just like, this is not sustainable. When LSU hit a bucket with, I think, six and a half minutes left and finally went ahead, I thought, here we go again. It's a Kentucky game all over. And they were down for another minute or two, but they take the lead and they kind of pull away with this one. And, man, hats off to them. I don't think that's what any of us were realistically expecting at those points last night. Exactly. You know, you're looking at a, at a Vanderbilt team who, you know, probably is that, you know, 55, maybe 60 point per game team, you know, since Aaron Neesmith has, has left. And, you know, they put 52 points on the board in the first half against 
um, you know, really good LSU team. And again, you know, just human nature, common sense says, you know, they put 52 points up, but it was, they were only up five. You know, you, I felt like Vanderbilt was up more uh, based on the way they played uh, in, you know, in the first half, goodness, they had, they were eight of 18 from the three point line, 18 of 33 from the field, uh, eight of 10 from the free throw line. So you look at those numbers, 54% from the field, 44% from the three point line and 80% from the free throw line and in the first half. And you think, look at the score and it's only five. Okay. Now the question that I ask is can Vanderbilt put two halves together back to back? Can, can, can we sustain what we did in the first half? And they answered the question. They did. They did. I was, I was surprised that uh, at the high level that they played at for pretty much the entire game, you know, I think there was a lot of people that when LSU went ahead by two or whatever it was, you know, probably with, I don't know, 12 minutes left or 11 minutes left or whatever they, they when they came back, they thought, okay, here, here goes LSU, but they never, I mean, and that's all of a sudden when Saban just took over the game and to my question, if I'm an LSU fan is will Wade, why did you stay in a pressing full court press against a team that was literally carving you up when they threw over the top. All they had to do was get the ball to Saban Lee beyond the front line of that defense, and Saban just, I mean, pounded people. It was unbelievable what he did um, going to the basket. You know, when he had 33 points, we talk about Max Evans, which is great. He set the tone with 25 in the first half, but Saban Lee – when LSU was making the comeback and, and, you know, coming after us, he was the one that separated Vanderbilt and kind of kept us going um, in the second half. And then I will say this, I thought Jordan Wright came in and there was about a three minute span where he had a couple steals. He knocked down some shots. Um, you know, he had 11 points in that game. Um, and then I'm trying to think it, it, it was about a minute, maybe a minute 30 left. And Scotty Tiffin jumps up and knocks down that three with time running down on the shot clock. And that's when I thought, goodness, Vanderbilt's going to win this basketball game, you know, because I thought we were playing solid defense and, you know, we were making shots. You look at 99 points. That's, that's phenomenal for a team that has not scored well, um, you know, field goal percentage, shooting, you know, lack of free throws, that kind of thing. It was all put together pretty much in, in one game. I was really proud of those guys. Yeah, boy, there's a bunch to chew on there. First of all, to the points. Now, I know LSU's defense was not very good and is not very good if you look at Ken Palm ratings, but I did not think Vanderbilt could score 79 against anybody the rest of the year unless maybe it got an overtime game. So that was a real stunner. Well, yeah, I mean, but again, to my point, if I'm if I'm LSU and I'm getting carved up by Saban Lee driving to the basket all the time against your full court pressure, my question is why not drop back and play a packed in gap zone defense where they can't get to the basket? If you're going to get beat on the road like this, make people shoot the ball from the perimeter. Will Wade did not do that. It was it was stunning to me 
how how he stayed in that full court or three quarter press and just got carved up. It was just I, I just thought it was poor coaching in that situation where, you know, he he probably should have gone to uh, more of a like I said a packed in zone defense or a gapped man to man defense. Yeah, carved up is a great term, and the two guys that did it were Saban Lee and Scottie Pippen Jr. Let's start with Saban. You know, I remember watching that Texas A&M game, and granted, they were still shell-shocked from the Neesmith injury, but you could see what A&M was doing. They were putting a lot of pressure on the perimeter, and Saban couldn't get two inches to breathe. And I'm like, that is a blueprint to beat them. To see them be able to come up with something that got him the space and the looks he got and got him 33 points, that's really an incredible coaching job. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it, it was, and he, and I've always said, I, you know, Saban Lee's a warrior. The kid is a crazy competitor and he wants to win. And, you know, he showed it last night. He played close to 38 minutes and, you know, he took 20 shots. He was 13 of 20. Um, but he was, you know, in the, I, what do you have? Six assists along with that. You know, I mean, Max Evans was my player of the game because I thought he set the tone in the first half to really put us in a position to win. But, you know, I you could have easily had two player of the game last night because I thought Saban Lee in the second half was phenomenal. Well, and to Evans, I'll contradict myself. Uh, until LSU made that run late in the first half, I'm thinking, okay, if they're going to win a game, it's going to take something outside the box. And when Evans just sitting there just – throwing threes in from all over the floor and it gets 25 in the first half. I'm thinking, okay, this seems like the recipe where if they're going to get one, they do. I just, my mouth was wide open watching him do what he did in the first half. Yeah. I mean, you know, you sit there and you, you look at, and you could tell he was in a rhythm and I, I will say as a player and you get that rhythm going and, and guys are getting you the basketball in in shooting positions and now all of a sudden the the basket looks like it's five feet wide when you're shooting and that's what was happening with him um you know i just think he he had so much confidence with his ability to shoot the basketball last night that you know it was it was amazing but i will say give the other players credit because they got him the basketball and it wasn't like you know when they were throwing cross-court passes to max he it wasn't like he was having to jump up to get the ball or get, go down below his waist to get it. It was like right in the shooting basket. He would catch that thing, and you know it was all he had to do was just lock onto the rim and, and jump up and shoot it because everything was in was in rhythm. So you know you got to give a lot of the credit to the guys that were getting him the basketball too. They seemed to have a really good sense of knowing where they were going to be last night. I remember one time down the stretch, I think it was Saban Lee, it might have been Scottie Pippen, is driving baseline coming towards us as we sit on the floor and just throws kind of a a blind bounce pass that for a split second you're like, where's this going? And then you notice a teammate sliding over to be right there. That's one thing that really has stood out to me at times is they have a very good knowledge of of who's going where and and a trust to expect sometimes that that guy gets there. Yeah, it was Saban Lee drives baseline, and I'm sitting there watching the drive on the baseline because you're right behind me, 
and he throws the bounce pass. And I'm like, well, I'm going to catch that one because it's coming right to me. And, you know, it was going out of bounds. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye to my right, here comes Jordan Wright sliding down the sidelines. He catches the basketball, and that's when I think he took it, drove into the lane, and he got fouled going, you know, going to the basket. But you're right. That 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 play in particular was a little bit crazy because, you you know, there was guys that, you know, he, when Saban threw the ball into that spot, he, he was expecting there, there was a guy going to be there. And sure enough, Jordan Wright showed up. I want to talk about Scottie Pippen Jr. too, because I feel like for a freshman point guard in this league, he's got a lot of savvy and poise. I thought he was very, very good down the stretch of that game. You know, he can he controlled the basketball, you know, I, I and and he got into the you know middle of the lane, kind of made LSU, you know, collapse on defense to make sure that and you know, he had pretty good footwork when he gets in there. He doesn't get sped up. Um, I thought just the, that the control that he had, you know, down the stretch, um, was, you know, he, you know, you, you sit there and you talk about when you get three quarters of the way through the, you know, the year, you're no, you're no longer a freshman anymore. They almost consider you a sophomore. And that's kind of where we are in the season right now that, you know, Dylan DeSue and, and Scotty, you know, they expect them to step up and start playing more like sophomores than they do freshmen because they've kind of been through the ringer a little bit. Um, and, you know, they're both accepting that challenge. Dylan got into some foul trouble last night and didn't get to play as much. He only played 17 minutes. But, um, you know, I thought Scotty, you know, he stepped up and, and, and played well. He had 13, He had 13 points. He had four turnovers. But, you know, the amount of time that the ball is in his hands – you know, you're going to have to expect some turnovers from him. Where do they go from here? How many more can they win? Well, shoot, you know, playing like this, if you're consistent. Now, you're not going to put 99 points up on the board, you know, every game for the rest of the season. I think that's not going to happen. It will not happen. You're going to run into some teams that are much better defensively than LSU. And so you, you can't expect that, but I think you can, you can expect some more consistency on, on offense with certain gaining more confidence. You know, you, you look at, you know, look at Max Evans, what he's doing, you know, you, you look at Jordan, Wright, He's becoming, you know, more confident. Saban is, you know, he is confident. Dylan's confident. Um, you know, I, I thought Edu Obino, you know, he, he only played 15 minutes last night. He had five fouls. He had five rebounds. But what I say about him is he took up some space last night, not necessarily getting rebounds and all that kind of stuff, but LSU had to account for him going to the offensive glass. They had to get a body on him. They had to, you know, do things that, you know, created some space for some other people. So you know, I don't think his stat line um, is is one that you look at it and you and you judge it by just the stats. He did some things that that didn't show up on the on the uh, on the box score. Let's go to the mailbag, which is sponsored by Vanderbilt Fan and Independent Insurance Agent Josh Minton of Brentwood. Do you need home, auto, motorcycle, renters, landlord, life, or commercial insurance? Josh is the guy to contact. 
Call him at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Facebook at J.D. Minton HQ. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try, and I think you'll be pleased. Ann Arbor Door says, Wade's head stack, quote, adds 10 sets for each game. Are the sets the same as plays? What did Stallings or Drew do, or what's typical? Um, so, so the question is, Coach Stackhouse adding 10 new sets um, each game compared to what Stallings and, and Bryce did? Yeah. Is that, is that, is that what the question is? Yeah, and, well, and to so, explain sets as, as opposed to plays. Yeah, I mean, I will say this. You know, Kevin Stallings could draw up a play at a timeout just like in the dirt. That you know, he he had that ability to to do that. Um, you know, the sets that you know Jerry's running right now, um, you know, are I think are getting better and better. Not necessarily that they're, you know, he changes them all the time. I just think the players are starting to actually run the plays. And, and, and are, are doing it to, you know, not to perfection right now, but at the same time, they're getting better and better on their responsibilities of what they're supposed to be doing. Perfect example is that drive on the baseline by Saban, knowing that Jordan Wright is supposed to be on down the baseline side and he, he catches the ball. You know, you're starting to see that the players are starting to get it a little bit, you know? So, you know, I think Jerry's, probably proud of these players that, you know, it's starting to kick in a little bit. Now we're starting to, to figure it out. And if that continues, Vanderbilt can, you know, there's, there's going to be more consistency in the way we play. And I've seen it really since the Kentucky game is, you know, our consistency of, you know, we didn't win the Kentucky game. We didn't win the Florida game, but I felt like our consistency was, was better throughout the game. Bobby two times says, how does this win and everything opposing coaches say about Stackhouse help with recruiting? Okay, ask that question one more time now. Well, he wants to know between the things that Will Wade said and winning a game, getting some results, how much does that help recruiting? Oh, yeah, I, I don't think there's any question that, you know, as a, as a recruiter, as, you know, as a program, you win games against a, a top 20 team like LSU, you know, it puts you in a situation where, you know, you've, you've got a little bit more influence recruiting and that can, you know, I'm sure David Grace was all excited last night because, you know, those guys going out recruiting players and that kind of thing, that's a win like that's definitely, um, you know, a plus when you're recruiting kids. Dorking says, can they keep up this kind of shooting and finish strong this year? Well, you know, it's like I said earlier, I think they're being more consistent. Now, when you sit here and say, okay, are they going to shoot 57% from the game from field and 40% from the uh, three-point line, you make 12 of those and you shoot 73% from the, the free throw line. Based on what they've done the previous games, you say you're not going to shoot. Now, can you shoot 48%, 46%, and maybe shoot 35 
32% from the three-point line and, and maybe, you know, keep that 70% as a team free throw shooting, yeah, I, potentially you can. But I don't think you can ask for what you saw last night for the rest of the season because you know, you're talking 99 points. And um, you put exactly two halves back-to-back. The one thing that Vanderbilt's going to have to just do a better job of is the fouling situation. Now, again, that's part referees, but at the same time, they were 20, 28 of 36. I think in the first half, I believe they scored 21 or 22 points in the first half against Vanderbilt off of free throws. So we gave them a bunch of points because we were fouling and we had some guys in foul trouble. So, you know, you sit there and you, and you look at, we won 99 to 90. You know, if we don't foul as much, that game becomes, you know, 20, 25 point game. If you don't give LSU 28 points at the free throw line. One interesting thing that came out yesterday, and normally this kind of would have been a focus of my attention, but with the week being so crazy, I just, sort of overlooked it. I think Matt Norlander at CBS came out with a thing yesterday where he talked to Aaron Neesmith, and I think Neesmith is maybe entertaining the possibility of a return, which, frankly, I'm a little surprised. Have you heard anything about that? You know, I I haven't, but at the same time, you know, a lot of it depends on your draft stock. You know, cut it any way you want to. If he's projected to be, you know, just say top 20, okay, uh, 15 to 20, even anywhere early in the first round, you got to go. You, you, you got to go. The money is so crazy, Chris, that, you know, you're going to get a guaranteed three-year contract. And, you know, I, I just don't know, you know, where he is with that or if his draft stock because of the injury potentially could, you know, deteriorate to where, you know what, I think I need to come back because I'm not going to get drafted in the first round. I don't know. I think a lot of that depends on NBA teams and how they evaluate him and, you know, what they what they think of him, you know, to, to get him into that first round. But if he's a first-round pick, I think he's got to go. Now, if he falls out of that, then, yeah, maybe, maybe it's time, you, you know, you look at maybe coming back, which would be huge for Vanderbilt. Well, I immediately knew as soon as I asked you the question. I don't think I issued the important clarification. Uh, I think the context was coming back this season, but in a way that also doesn't change the answer because if he's he's not this, yeah if he's, he's locked in at a certain to, level, um, yeah. Well, anyway, go ahead. Well, he's he's not coming back this season because he had surgery. I think that he, was the context had, yeah. of the article, though. Um, which was was why it surprised me. Yeah, I mean, he, you know that that surgery that he had is a, like a four month recovery, so he he's not coming back this year. No chance of that happening. So um, it would have to be for you know the following season because the the way the surgery that was performed is such that he's you know the recovery time is not going to be for the season in. Well, I'm looking up the report, and that's what I've thought too. But it clearly says this season. So, wow. Well, <laughs> again, I'd have to, yeah, I'd have to talk to doctors. But 
based on what I've heard with the kind of surgery he's had, the recovery time would be after the SEC tournament's over. Yeah. Before he could, he could ever get back. Well, seems like a long shot, but it was interesting that it came up. Um, yeah. The other thing, of course, is Cleavon Brown. By the way, here's a quote. And this is what Matt Norlander got from Neesmith. He says, the time period for me coming back is not set in stone because they're waiting to make sure the stress fracture heals to 100%. I want to get back to playing as soon as possible. I hope I can still play this season. Well, I, I, I seriously doubt that. I mean, I think that's coming. <laughs> By the way, that was terrific. You know, from just a common sense. Stand- yeah. I mean, from a common sense, probably medical doctor, I, I got to believe that it's, there's just no chance of that happening without, you know, taking the risk of, you know, further damage. And I don't think Vanderbilt wants that for Aaron. And I know Aaron, you know, if, if, if that, there's any chance of that he doesn't want it either. By the way, that was just a great podcast moment in our history. The way I just threw that on you and, and didn't research it and, and then threw it at you again. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, I don't think that soundbite will be on my wall of fame. But anyway, it I <laughs> it, it honest and it's been that kind of week. Seriously, it's like there are oh, things yeah. I'd normally be looking into and it's just the AD thing has just consumed everything as you know, it's consumed everybody's talk. And I think honestly when we went to the game last night, that's kind of where all our heads were. It wasn't on hey, what's coming up? Can they pull an upset? It's just been a thing that's cast a a shadow around everybody and just taking everyone's time. Well, and here's what I think is unbelievable is to your point about how it casts a shadow. And then all of a sudden you do what, you know, coach Stackhouse and the staff and the team did around all that, you know, noise with, with the AD. And that's, and that's pretty impressive last night to play a LSU team number 18 in the country have, I think they've had 12 straight road wins in the sec and you've got all the noise with Malcolm Turner and everything that's gone on with the AD thing. And you play like that. I mean, I, you got to give those kids and that coaching staff a lot of credit from, for what they did last night under the circumstances. Final thing before I let you go, Cleavon Brown is the other one because I'm with you. I just don't see how this makes sense for Aaron Neesmith to come back. But since it popped up, I thought it was worth discussion. The Brown one is the one that has always seemed much more realistic. You had estimated when we talked about this weeks ago that based on your experience and knowledge of these things that mid-February was about when he might be able to come back. Any more thoughts on where that stands? Gosh, I... You know, I'm hearing rumors, you know, that maybe there's a medical redshirt coming for a kid like that, you know, um, because the, the percentage of games that he's played uh, would lend itself to, you know, the NCAA giving him another year. And the thing that Joe and I have talked about on the radio is that, okay, let's just say he comes back and it's, you know, what are we looking at? February the 6th right now. And, 
you know, based on what I saw last night, I don't know if it's, you know, let's, let's just say 10 days, you know, so now it's February the 16th from a conditioning standpoint, is he going to be ready to, to play and to help you um, being out this long and not being in condition to, you know, to be game ready. So I think the coaching staff and people evaluating this are going to say, okay, Cleveland, you know, do you want to play this year? And you're going to have a real short window. When you come back, you're going to have to get in shape and do all that kind of stuff. Or is there a, you know, a point where you want to say, you know, Hey, let's, let, let's go with the red shirt, uh, medical red shirt, and then come back and play the entire season next year. I think that's some of the, the things that, that has have to be answered. Yeah. And I need to circle back because that rumor was out there for a week or two. I, put in an inquiry at Vanderbilt, took me a couple of weeks to get an answer, and then I got a, a flat no that that was not happening. So I don't know if there's been a changing of the minds or whatever. Um, frankly, they don't they don't communicate a lot of things sometimes, so it's, it's kind of hard to know. But that's interesting that that's popped up as a possibility of a red shirt again. And frankly, I think the big thing, I've said this for a while, just get a win somewhere and get that off your back. Uh, for the rest of this season, yeah. going into next season, I mean, the last thing you wanted was to go into next year with 39 straight losses in the conference heading into the year. So at least that takes us off the table. I mean, maybe they lose out and there's another losing streak going into next year, but it's a little bit different. I think ideally, if you could get him back for next year, now that you have a win, I'd rather have a full year of Cleavon Brown than than just having him to try to get that monkey off your back. I mean, yeah, if I was the coach, yeah, I personally probably would like to have that because now you've got a healthy Cleveland Brown back for an entire season, um, as opposed to, let's just say seven games, you know, uh, you can get him back in that, in that time frame. So, you know, I'm sure that, you know, coach Stackhouse and, and the trainers and the medical staff are evaluating that and, you know, they will, they'll probably make the decision on how they're going to, you know, how they're going to work that out. But again, I, I, and again, I don't know how Cleveland's feeling, you know, Cleveland, you know what, I don't know. He, he may say, you know what, I want to play my last seven games and then I'm, you know, I'm going to graduate and that kind of thing. I, I don't know where his mind is in this thing uh, either. So I think that all that has to be evaluated. Tim, any parting thoughts today? No, I just, you know, it's one of those things where, um, goodness, you know, you sit there and you watch that game last night and, and I mean, it was fun doing the game because, you know, it was action packed and there was a lot of scoring and, and, you know, you know, Vanderbilt played great in the first half and then the LSU makes their little bit of run to get ahead. And then, you know, Vanderbilt comes back with an answer. And I, and I know that everybody that was in that gym last night was, I mean, it was pretty exciting to, to see people on their feet when, you know, Scotty Pippen hit that three pointer with, you know, the minute 20 or whatever it was in, in the game to, it, that kind of salted the thing away. At least that's the way it was for me. Uh, but now you got to build on this. And I think, I think Vanderbilt's been building since the Kentucky game, you know, you know, I thought they came back against Florida and, and got within, you know, striking distance. And then they win the LSU game. Now it's time to go on the road against the Mississippi state team that, you know, they, they're athletic, they're tough, you know, they're physical, 
um, you know, it, it's the next step of trying to win a road game. And that's going to be, you know, that's going to be tough in Starkville. That, that it's a tough place to play. He is Tim Thompson, color commentator for Vanderbilt Basketball. I'm Chris Lee, host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. Tim, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next week. Thanks, Chris. See you. Bye.